Northwestern Medicine, relentless in their pursuit of better health care. Learn more at nm.org slash better. Dr. Kevin Most is the Chief Medical Officer at Northwestern Medicine Central DuPage Hospital. He joins us every Monday at this time. Doctor, good morning. Let's talk about the FDA. They just came out with an important announcement on mammograms. What changed here, if anything? Yeah, Bob, one of the things that changed is when we do mammograms, some women have uh, very dense breast tissue and others do not. But we've known that the increase in, in um, breast cancer can happen in people with very dense breasts. Unfortunately, when we do a mammogram, dense breasts come out as white, as do cancers. So really, the biggest change that the FDA made was to say, hey, when you read a mammogram, you need to inform the woman that they have dense breasts and make sure that they have a conversation with their physician. About 38 states had already had some of this in place, including Illinois, where it was a requirement that you put the density of the breast in the mammogram results. The biggest thing about this is, though, that now all 50 states not only will have to put the density on the result, but will also have to explain to the individual who's getting that result that they would potentially have an increased chance for breast cancer and to discuss with their physician whether additional studies need to be done, whether the incidence of how often you have the mammogram uh, is done, whether you need an MRI or an ultrasound. So it's really increasing the awareness and making sure that everybody across all 50 states is on the same playing field as far as reporting of mammograms. What about the screening recommendations? Are they the same? Yes, they haven't changed. And really, you know, we a lot, you know, there's two different screening recommendations, but most of us go by the American Cancer Society, which says, you know, age is 40 to 44. Really, it's by your choice. And if there's any family history, certainly we would start. Ages 45 to 54, you're going to get an annual uh, mammogram. And then over the age of 55, all the way to 75, every other year. And then over 75, it's really up to the discussion of the doctor and the, the patient. So is the FDA recommendation here all about a better reporting and sharing of information? Exactly. And awareness. So we know that women who have dense breasts have four times the chance of breast cancer. So if you have two women, one without dense breasts and one with, and they're getting their results back, the the individual with the dense breast has to have the awareness factor of, boy, because of my breast tissue, I have a higher chance of this, and it makes the mammograms harder to read. So certainly we want to make sure that the physician who's ordering that knows that the individual has dense breasts and may want to order an MRI uh, in addition to just a mammogram. Uh, Survival rate getting any better? I know one in eight women will be diagnosed with breast breast cancer. Has that number stayed the same for a while now? Where are we with all that? Yeah, it, it really has. It's still the most common cancer in women, if you exclude skin cancer. But certainly the survival rates have improved dramatically over the last 20 years. And, and it comes down to the ability for the change in the way that we now do uh, mammographies, uh, the expertise of those individuals who are reading those, because just like with any of the cancers, the earlier we find it, the better chance we have for survival. You know, we find an early breast cancer and a simple lumpectomy can be done versus, you know, finding it after it's metastasized and is now in the lymph nodes, and that's where we have our problems. So, 
certainly uh, the incidence of it and the ability for people to get mammograms uh, has increased dramatically. It used to be somewhat difficult to find a place that would find a, do a mammogram, and now you know we have the ability for everyone to get that screening, and even those who can't afford it, the Why Wait program here in the state of Illinois uh, will pay for mammograms to individuals who uh, don't have insurance. And it's very common for women to have this dense uh, breast tissue, isn't it? Oh, very common, fifty percent. So it's you know it's almost a coin toss as to you know what kind of uh, how the tissue is going to be there. And again, it's that fibrous tissue that on the mammogram just looks very dense, and that's exactly what the the mammography um, radiologists are looking for is those specks of white that shouldn't be there. So certainly, in those those with dense breast tissue, they are looking at those films much more uh, uh, in depth, and then also making sure that they're reporting out the density and the comment of, make sure you talk to your physician, he may want to order, or he or she may want to order additional films. It's our Monday morning appointment with Dr. Kevin Most. Not everyone is bothered by the time change as much as I am, but some people can be affected for more than just a couple days, can't they, Doc? Absolutely. You know, the daylight savings time shock, as we call it, uh, certainly does impact your health, and it, it can impact people quite a bit. But this week is probably the biggest week, you know, this week and probably part of next week, so 10 days or so. <clears throat> but certainly we see do, do see a lot of health-related changes that can occur this week. And the numbers are alarming, actually, something like 24% higher chance of a heart attack this week. And do we know exactly why? We don't. <clears throat> so very interesting. When we look at the cardiovascular changes from daylight savings time, like you said, 24% chance of a heart attack, even 8% chance of an increase of stroke. So we sit there and say, well, you know, is this just this kind of blip that we can't explain here just in the United States? But in fact, when we look at Sweden, which ran a very similar study, they had the exact same results. So um, why? We're really not sure, but we know that the circadian rhythm shock that our body gets certainly impacts a lot of things. You know, the circadian rhythm runs our hormones, essentially. So hormones like melatonin and insulin and cortisol are all based on when the sun comes up and when it comes down, not based on the time on our watch. Some of this you can figure out. Uh, there's a, a slight increase in car accidents, and that's because you're driving right now. Well, you, maybe you're just fatigued. It makes sense. Well, two things there. One, certainly you're fatigued because really today is the, probably the biggest day, right? We changed on Sunday morning, Saturday night into Sunday morning. Well, Sunday is, you know, for most people a day off. They may not have woken up at the time that they normally get in to go to work, get up to go to work. You know, that's my day to quote unquote sleep in. Well, this is the first day. But last night, going to sleep may have been a little bit more difficult, right? It's uh, it's later, uh, light out later. And uh, so we don't have the melatonin starting to say, hey, it's time to start to go to sleep. It's time to start to wind down. So that shock there of going to sleep later, but waking up when we normally do for work causes some of the increased spike in accidents, in workplace accidents, as well as as well as MVAs, uh, motor vehicle accidents. But certainly we start to see um, the changes that are really going to be impacted this week and then hopefully as it transitions. Because you have to remember, a week ago at this time, the sun was coming up. Well, the sun's mm -hmm. not going to come up now again 
or was already up. Now the sun's not going to come up here for another, you know, 15, 20 minutes. So an hour shock is a lot more than people really realize. Mm-hmm. It's like jet lag, isn't it? It's exactly like jet lag. Yep. It's, it's jet lag on steroids, probably. And it's <laughs> yeah. jet lag that, yeah. And now very we're thinking about vitamin D and getting enough of that. Can you overdo it uh, taking a vitamin D supplement? Yeah, you certainly can. And, you know, the interesting thing about vitamin D now is as we change and we're outside more, our body makes vitamin D. It's great. You know, it's, it shows the importance of that vitamin. If you look at, you know, Darwinism at its finest, you know, we make our own vitamin D. So certainly you don't need supplements. Probably in the summer, your supplement use can go down. And we talk, as remember, if we talked early in the fall and into uh, through the winter, the importance of a vitamin D supplement is there because we're not getting that naturally made vitamin D. <clears throat> but certainly you can take too much. So, you know, it's a vitamin that is stored in fat as well. So if you take a normal supplement and eat a diet that has some vitamin D in it, you'll be fine. But vitamin D is a very important vitamin. To, so that's why there's such a focus on it these days. Do you need more vitamin D as you age? Yes, you do. So really, if you look at vitamin D and how much should we be taking if, you, if you're going to take a supplement, you'll see that a lot of the little gel caps are anywhere from 500 to 1,000 international units. So taking 600 is good up until about the age of 70. At the age of 70, we really start to need more vitamin D. One, because we probably don't make as much naturally. And two, because the reabsorption of calcium out of our bones increases our chance for osteoporosis, which increases our chance for bone fractures. Uh, vitamin D also very important in in our immune system as well. So as we age, our immune system doesn't work as well. So we want to make sure that we have the vitamin D necessary for that as well. I was really surprised to read that vitamin D has been shown to decrease depression. Yeah. You know, when you look at vitamin D and people say, oh, yeah, it's just to make strong bones, but really doesn't. It, it decreases the chance of dementia. It increases our immune system better. It decreases inflammation. So like Advil, you know, it, it helps decrease inflammation in the body, decreases the risk of diabetes and uh, depression. So really, when we look at the heart, heart uh, benefits from it, as well as the mental health, it's a super vitamin. All right, I got to go now and get some salmon, tuna, eggs, milk, yogurt. Uh, what else do I need for, vi- for vitamin D? Is no, that it? Are yeah. those the big ones? You know, it's interesting. It's interesting, you know, when you talk about milk, when you think about it, milk previously where farmers made milk and distributed it right away, and, you know, you drank milk straight from the cow, you know, now in the late 50s, we said, hey, wait a second, we need to get more vitamin D into our system. And that's when milk started to get fortified with vitamin D. So we all think of milk as having vitamin D. No, milk's a great source of calcium. We just put the vitamin D in it. So we naturally, I shouldn't say naturally, but we produce milk and add vitamin D to it. Mm-hmm. Drink up. Orion Samuelson approves of this uh, announcement. <laughs> Dr. Kevin Mose, talk to you again next Monday. You got it. Take care, guys.